My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is Technically Speaking. This show is produced in collaboration with Studio Pod Media. For information on our episodes, articles, and professional community, head to technicallyspeakinghw.com today. Let's get into the details of today's show. Jasmine Orange works as a UX lead at Ernst & Young. In this episode, we talk to her about her background in industrial design and her passion for designing beyond the screens. Jasmine shares her vision on design principles that need to be fixed and the value of open communication within design environments. Join us and connect with Jasmine's philosophy of hard work and taking breaks. Hey everybody, my name is Harrison Wheeler and welcome to another episode of Technically Speaking. Today, I have lead designer Jasmine Orange joining me all the way from the ATL. Welcome to the show. Hi. Be here. I've thought about like getting so for folks that don't know, some people are really into home podcasts like production equipment. And some of the people, what they do, they have like these recording boards and they will pre-program like sound effects. And I kind of wanted a button for like the, you know, the DJ, like the Jamaican horn. So when I, when I introduce people, I can just press it. Well, I think with that level of power, you, you're towing the line here because some people will do it too often, like on Nicki Minaj's podcast, where it's just like a constant. And it's like, (laughs) now I don't know what you're even talking about anymore. Or the combination thread of like a bunch of different sounds. You're like, okay. Yeah. Like, well, it's like, are you making a sentence out of this? Is the whole podcast just you trying to <laughs> tell a story through the different noises? It's auditory emojis. <laughs> yeah. Maybe give folks a, a little bit of an introduction about yourself. Sure. So my name is Jasmine Orange. I am the UX lead currently at uh, Ernst & Young. I've been a designer for five years now. And I am also in grad school. I'm getting my master's in human computer interaction from DePaul University. Yeah, that that's a lot. That's a lot to be like, doing all at once. How are you maintaining and holding through and all that? You know, some weeks are better than others. Uh, <laughs> but I think transitioning into a lead position and going to grad school, I also just recently became a grad assistant under one of the professors at DePaul. I think what that's taught me is the importance of telling people, no, I don't have time because I ain't got it. Because before it was very easy for me to be like, well, I have time to do this so I can pack this on. I can pack this on. And now I'm like, nope, I don't. mm -mm, It's not going to (laughs) work. You you need to push it to next week or I need to learn how to delegate these things to other people, especially now in a lead position. I am learning to delegate more and that helps. Yeah. And that's actually a really good skill for even beyond just obviously balancing the work that you're doing. I feel like understanding trade-offs, saying no, what to prioritize is a, is a really important skill as a designer too. So yeah. it's good that, you know, you've got these transferable kind of experiences <laughs> that you're able to also apply in the workplace. But we'll get to that a little bit later. I want to kind of start out with, you know, a few icebreaker questions and I'm going to start, I'm going to start with something really, really intense. So what is something that you are proud of and not so proud of over the past year? Ooh. So the thing I'm proud of is uh, 
I actually got promoted last year to lead, which I'm pretty proud of. And uh, I also got the graduate assistantship last year as well. So I'm proud of working hard and getting those things under my belt. The thing I'm not so proud of is at the beginning of the year, I was still in this phase of I can do all of these things. I can go to school and work and do this and do that. And I can just tack it on. And I had to bail out of a lot of stuff. And I hate bailing out on people after I say I'm going to do it. But I was in this space of mentally spiraling because I had too much on my plate. And the pandemic in general is already so much. And I wasn't, I was fighting the thought of like, you should probably rest some. And so I had to bail out on a lot of stuff. So that wasn't a great moment for me. But the, I guess the best thing about it was that I learned how to delegate and I learned to say no. And I started doing a lot less stuff involving design than I normally would because I was like, I need to take a break. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels like you at least have had some resolute to it, maybe in the moment. You felt bad, but at least you kind of can see it before it happens again, right? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely helps. I think last year I was experiencing a form of burnout and I've never yeah. experienced mm. that with design before. I've, yeah. I knew I wanted to be a designer when I was 15. And so that's been my whole focus. And last yeah. year I was just like, I think I hate this. Why do I hate mm. this? And I started to panic. And then I think it's because mm. I didn't have a plan in place for when I get tired of focusing all my energy on design, what do I fall back on? And so I think that time frame really helped me understand, like, this doesn't have to be my whole life. I can do other stuff and it all can still be enjoyable and uh, yeah. help me relax some. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to clarify. So like with the burnout piece, like what what were some examples of it? Where was it like self-doubt? Was it questioning, like less passion about something that you'd always wanted to be? Maybe kind of dive into that a little bit more. It was definitely a lot of the passion around it. I got to a point where I hated even talking about it. I had to talk about it at work and I had to talk about it at school. And so I was always pretty active in the design community here in Atlanta. And I didn't want to talk about it at all. I would like, if I saw a post about it, I'd be like, oh, I don't want to, like, I don't want to deal with any of that anymore. But I think the way to get out of it is the same way that with anything else, you take a break and then you come back. It's like writing. It's like living, you know, you, you have to keep doing it and then you have to find ways to accept it for what it is at that moment. And so there are going to be moments where I don't want to talk about design or I don't want to be as active in design, but I have to accept it for what it is. And I think that yeah. me trying to fight it and make it and mold it into like this thing it's supposed to be all the time, I learned to just let it be what it is and I'll get out of it when I can. I love that, right? Because I think, I feel like in the days of just like content creation, it feels like everyone always has to be on and an expert mm-hmm. about the things that they do. And I think it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like a slippery slope, right? Because there are people that are always yeah. wanting that information. Right. And then that's maybe the only reason why they're even following you. And and when you don't, like, that doesn't mean that you don't care about it anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just really a part of the process. So you're a self-proclaiming nerd. So maybe tell us, like, some of the things that you're geeking out on right now. Ooh, I am a nerd in so many senses. I really enjoy horror games. And so I've been watching a lot of horror game playthroughs because I don't have time to play every single game. Mm. I've been replaying Final Fantasy VII the remake, which yeah. it's only okay. I've been rewatching Haikyuu 
it's a volleyball anime. I know nothing of sports, but something about sports anime. Really, mm. I just get really into it. And I've been reading a lot about ultra marathon running. I'm not, again, not super sports related, but I like the idea of ultra marathon running. I like people who do it. They they seem so nice. Um, so I've been reading a lot. <laughs> they seem <about> so <laughs> nice, but they they're do. putting they their so body nice. through hell. Yeah. So you, you got to be nice. So like they seem very nice. Um, so I've been reading Scott Jurek's book, Eat and Run, which I have read before. And it's one of my faves. I'm planning to do a Spartan in June. And so oh, that's been helping nice. a lot. Nice. And then I've been taking sign language classes and tennis lessons um, on wow. Thursdays. So Amazing. Amazing. How is all that going for you? Like if you were to kind of give us one word that could describe what that's been like. Tell us. One word. I would say in some ways it's... it's Two words. Two words. Chaotic therapy. There we go. Yeah, chaotic therapy. I think having ways to break away from design and then having ways coming back to design have been very nice. And sign language in many ways helps a lot with my design process and the things that I think about. So it's nice. And there's a, a great beauty with communicating without having to actually say any words that I... I've learned to enjoy. Yeah. How is that kind of related to design? Um, well, I think it makes you think about experiences a lot differently, especially now when people talk about accessibility, they're talking yeah. about it in this sense of, we need to make sure that we're matching the accessibility guidelines and that's it. And that doesn't mean that it's a good experience for people who actually need to have an experience a certain way. Yeah. So for example, you could say that having a, a voice to text translation is a good enough thing for someone who is deaf that they'd be able to know what's going on and that's enough. But that's not true because a lot of the emphasis when you're talking for people who are in the hearing community is that we say things with inflection. So it's different to say, oh, I'm annoyed, to saying like, God, I'm so annoyed. Like, you know, that's different. And a lot of that for someone who's deaf is in your facial expression. And so if you can't see someone's face, you can say the same sentence and it means something completely different in sign language based on the facial expression you're making. So that's an example of like an experience that by the textbook, it works for if you just do the basics. But if you're not learning more about that community, it's easy for you to not know that you're missing that little portion that makes it a better experience. Right. Context over consistency is such an important concept when it comes to accessibility. I remember I was having a discussion on the Twitter spaces a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of talking about designing for the aging population. And, you know, a lot of times we tend to not really care about, I mean, this is a sad fact. We tend to not really care about how our parents really kind of have experience with software until we have to help them, like what, where it might be setting up their phone, their Apple watch or the internet. And it's, really interesting because like, I think we spend so much time to your point to the text, but we spend so much time like thinking about, you know, human design guidelines or oper basically operating system sort of guidelines. And one of the things that I've always noticed is that my parents don't even know how to use their, like their phone to begin with. And so like, they haven't even gotten to the actual experience that you're designing yet. And so are we really kind of thinking about even what the path to that looks like. And I think like that really kind of aligns a lot to that point. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know you've also kind of had some discussions around this as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to, to 
make sure that when I'm talking about design in general, I try to think of it in a more equitable space than it just being, I'm here as the design savior to make something that looks nice and feels nice for most people, but then other people I don't think about at all. And I think, you know, a lot of that has to do with just privilege in general. There's a big portion of privilege is just the fact that you don't have to think about other people's situations if you're not a part of that situation. So it doesn't come up unless somebody brings it up. And so I try to bring it up just even if it's something in passing of saying like, hey, you do realize that this thing is happening or, you know, this is how this affects this other person. Yeah. One last icebreaker. We're going to get into some of that a little bit later. If you were to have or if you have a superpower, what is it? Um, I would want my superpower to be, and this is indicative of all the crap I'm doing all at one time, is that I wish I could be in more than one place, but still <laughs> get all of the experience and all of the knowledge from being in multiple places. Yeah, that that's, uh, what's the name of that? There's a, there's a term for that. And why am I blanking on it? I don't know. I know that Hermione did it in one of the Harry Potter books, though. I didn't read Harry <laughs> Potter, but somebody mentioned it to me that, that Hermione is able to do that. And I was like, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, it's called quantum computation. When you're running mm-hmm. multiple processes at once and you're learning at the same time. Yeah, I that's the I wish dream. I could but that. yeah, that seems that seems really complicated. I wonder like how you would even process all of that information at once. Yeah. Is it like the if you had multiple versions of yourself out there, is it as they're learning, you immediately get it in your brain or do y'all have to come together and have like a, a forum to be like, all right, well, now I'll, I'll, a next speaker is me. And she's talking about this one time she was at this place. Like, I wonder how that works. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there could be a big glitch or you're just talking to yourself all day. <laughs> I mean, that's not too much different than what I do all day anyway. So. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Harrison again. I'm sure if you haven't heard by now, I just released the Technically Speaking Product Design Glossary. It's 118 need-to-know terms centered around the ins and out of user experience design. The best part about it is that it's a free download. Head on over to technicallyspeakinghw.com or our Instagram for more information. All right. So let's let's get into a little bit more about you. So you had mentioned that you'd want to get in design since 14. Maybe tell us a little bit more about your journey to be a lead designer and where you're at today. Sure. So, yeah, I went to a, a high school that specialized in engineering and health science, and I took CAD classes. So I had a professor who would be like, hey, you need to build a seating desk arrangement that allows for six people to sit there and she'd give us all of the parameters around it. And then she'd be like, you have a week to make it and you can make it however you wanted, but it just had to have certain things that you had to consider. And I loved that class. I loved it so much. I thought it was so fun. And I was like, okay, this is it. I want to be an engineer. I want to be able to work in CAD and design stuff all day. Then I found out that you have to do math if you're an engineer and I am bad at math. You can ask everyone who knows me basic math. I'm like, I don't know. But then I was also someone who was very into the arts. I was in drama. I was in choir. I was, I love to paint. I love to just do things that involve creativity. 
but I wasn't a good enough artist where I would make any money. So I was like, I don't know where that middle ground is. And so I took one of those personality test things that you're supposed to take in high school, which we have to talk about how that's not great to tell a 15 year old, like, this is the job you're going to do for forever (laughs) based on your fleeting personality. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that came up was industrial design. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And I looked into it and it was perfect. It was like, I could see the page glowing when I was reading about it. I was so excited. And so I knew right then and there that that's what I wanted to do. And so I went to Virginia Tech and learned about industrial design there. I had amazing teachers who I'm still very close to. And then I graduated and I did an internship uh, for a few months after I graduated. And then I went back home. I'm from Augusta, Georgia. And for six months, I did nothing because I was like in this weird state of not being in school, which was the only thing I knew how to do. And now having to look for a job. And I was like freaking out. I think I was going through a really bad depression spiral for about Mm. six months. And then I was like, I have to I have to do something. I have to get up and do something. And so I applied to be an intern at a cybersecurity company doing graphic design for them. And while I was there, I got to meet a lot of the user experience designers there. And I was like, user experience, what is that? Because I went to Virginia Tech in in 2011. And so that wasn't a thing yet. Like I didn't understand what, I knew what user experience meant in an industrial design sense, but I didn't know that people were designing out apps. And so they were telling me about it. And I was like, oh, isn't that just industrial design? (laughs) Like, isn't that just industrial design, but with digital aspects? And they were like, "Ah, I guess so. And so I started to read up on it. And I was like, this is it. This is like what I want to do. And uh, you never you never actually had an industrial design job. No. How did like your family take that? (laughs) They well, you know, the trick is to major in something where they don't know what it is anyway. Uh, (laughs) That definitely helped. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, that does help. So I went from my internship and they hired me as a full-time designer there. And then I worked there for about a year and a half or two years. And then I went to work for a consulting firm here in Atlanta. And I got to work with different companies, Georgia Lottery, some of the smaller ones here, a lot of government agencies, and then interviewed for EY. I quit my job randomly because I didn't have another job lined up because I was like, I just need a play. (laughs) And then I applied for EY and I interviewed with them and I thought it would be perfect. They seemed, all of the designers seemed very nice. And the, I read a lot about the company and some of their cultural aspects of it and what their core belief systems were. And I really enjoyed it. And I applied and I got to the last interview and they did not hire me. Oh. Uh, they, hired, they hired the other person that they were interviewing, which worked out because he's amazing and I absolutely adore yeah. him. But I ended up getting a call from my recruiter and they were like, they really liked you, but they're going with this other person, but they want you to interview with a different team because they really want you to work here. Yeah. And so I interviewed with the other team and I've been there for two years now. Holla. Working on a lot of different stuff and I've really enjoyed it. Um, I recently got promoted to lead designer and I'm now I'm working on this really big data system so that EY is able to understand some of the data that we have and how we're going to use it to create solutions and engagements for our different clients and partners. 
Amazing. That's an awesome, that's an awesome story. And I think one of the things that we've learned about Jasmine is that she knows when it's time to take a break <laughs> unapologetically. So maybe kind of take me through or take us through like your mindset going through that transition, right? Because you go to Virginia Tech for four years to learn about industrial design. You don't really kind of, you don't really know what's going to happen, right? I think you get a job doing graphic design, then you've got this UX thing. What was your mindset doing that? And even like, where are you at today, right? Like, obviously, you've, you've been able to kind of work at EY for, you know, a couple of years, but how has that development process been to you? And how, how are you growing your tool set in this? So I think when I first got started, one, I think, and you can, I don't know why you would ask my parents, but you could ask them. When I first started as an intern, I was like, I'm going to work full time here. And then four months later, I did. And then I was like, I'm going to be a user experience designer in the next six months. And then I did. And I think me saying it out loud really helped. I was in this mindset then about getting good and then getting fast. And that's all I cared about. And I think now the difference is now that I'm in a lead position, it's I care a little less about being fast. I think the idea of the move fast, break things, that's always scuffed my Tim's just to let you know that I've never liked that phrase because it's always been so weird to say it's because they're like move fast, break things. And it's like, well, yeah, but have you ever broken anything? Have you ever had to clean up glass right. on the floor after you broke it? That takes forever. Have and you so ever I had to take that, responsibility for your actions? Have you ever had to take responsibility for your actions? <laughs> uh, By the way, I, 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 love, I, I love that. What scuffs my Thames. I, I need to write that down. <laughs> I've never heard that before, but it resonates so well. You know, when people are like, that irks my nerves. Nothing irks your nerves more than somebody scuffing your Tim's, your brand new Tim's. Like that stresses me out. The I, I can see it in my mind every time I say it. And I'm like, oh. It creases so my sneakers. Well, you can't say like, oh, it scuffs my brand new Jordans. Because that's no. worth fighting somebody over, depending on like <laughs> which one's that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think as I'm getting into the leadership level of design, I'm learning that sometimes you have to focus on things like the process of it. And it takes a lot longer than just getting good and getting fast. Like getting a good process takes a long time. Getting alignment with your team, both on the business side, on the development side, on the design side, that takes time. That takes a lot of commitment to getting to know where other people's headspace is, both on the individual level of the people that you're referring, you're talking to, but also on your team's level. I think having conversation around when we're talking about things like designing in ways where we're thinking about other people, it branches out pretty far. Even when I'm talking about designing something for the uh, team that does all the auditing at EY, I'm not an auditor. I don't know what that's like. And even if I do have documentation on what that's like, I don't know what it's like to do it for eight hours. And the only way I'll know is if I have that open communication with them. And that takes time. That takes trust. That takes way more than doing it quickly. So I think that's what I've learned since then is that getting good and getting fast isn't always the best way. Like it's fine to have an end goal. It's fine to push hard to get there. But it's okay to take your time and do it. It's okay to take breaks. I am clearly a big, a big believer in taking breaks. Yeah. So maybe kind of going back to that earlier phase, was it like, would you consider 
kind of where you wanted to be and the confidence that was that more or less of like a commitment or was it like a visualization? Did you like see yourself there? Right. Cause I think there's a difference between maybe, you know, kind of having a daily affirmation versus like visualization. And so like, how would you maybe categorize that? I was definitely in the visualization side. That was like another nerd thing because I'm about to go and see Macbeth after this. It's like, you know, it's that same feeling of like, I've seen it and I want it and I know that I can do what I need to do to get there. But I think that same level of rigor that I had of I need to get there no matter what, even if it means spending all day and all night, I think that that works in some instances. But if there's anything I've learned in the pandemic is that you can't control everything. Obviously, I didn't anticipate being stuck in the house for two years. And so it's okay to have those visualizations, but you have to be okay with your path getting there not being as straight as you think it would be. So so kind of like where you're at now. So you're obviously in a master's program. What are you looking to get out of it? And how do you think that's going to add value to either where you're at right now or the next phase? And what do you sort of see yourself kind of moving down the line? So I think when I think about my master's program, I what I've, I've even gotten out of it now is just a, a deeper, a much deeper understanding of designing for systems, regardless of what the system is, understanding in a more complicated level of what's going on, both for the person that you're designing for, for the environment you're designing for, understanding some of the design theories that go along with our principles. When you think about these principles that we had, and this is one of the reasons I went to get my master's, is that I was always wondering where these principles came from. Who made them? Why did they make them? How did they decide that this was the principle for this? And I'm learning more about that as we go along. So then if there's a a principle that's flawed for any reason, and they probably will have some flaw in them just based on the research that was done on these or done on very specific participants, um, we need people to know that so that we can make better research that then changes the theories that then change the principles. So it's that trickle down effect of who was in the room when this principle was made? Who were they interviewing when these principles were made? Why were they interviewing those people and not these people? Why is it that this is the way that it is? Yeah. And obviously the the latent effect of that is that it's going from a few to many. And so people are going through these programs on these potential principles that are are broken. And so like, what do you, what do you intend to do with that type of knowledge? So my goal is to, in a a large sense, is to think of how we're doing research now and whether that means working at an R&D department or working more in academia is to help us all understand that our research has flaws in it. And we all know that. And it's okay for us to question some of these things and build anew. On a smaller, more community-based scale, I really have been interested in doing classes, but like small classes and classes that don't cost any money because I want to be able to do free classes where we just talk about a topic and it's a couple hours and then that's it. I remember having a class where we would take classes for like two weeks and it would just be about storyboarding and that's it. You just learn to draw storyboards and that's the end of it. And I would want to do something like that, like a small community-based version of you're taking a class for like two weeks and you're learning about one thing and that's it. And it's just getting you in the mindset of it. So 
doing that same concept, but with how do we make sure that our storyboards even have the kind of equity that we're looking into? Because a lot of storyboards have one particular kind of person in it. What does it look like if you have different kinds of people? What does it look like when someone's interacting with the system and they don't fit the mold of what you think that person's supposed to look like in your storyboard? And how would that change how you design out the entire thing? Yeah. So speaking of sort of like these different interest areas, what are some other areas of design that you're passionate about, right? There's obviously, it's wide ranging when we start speaking about design and a lot of the different influences that go into different parts of the process, but what's something that you're really passionate about? Right now, I'm very passionate about embodiment design. So designing for something more than just a screen, that's the thing that I think I miss the most about industrial design is that we were designing for all senses. Whereas when you're designing for a digital system, you're only really designing for your eyes and for your hands. And it's a very small space because you have to use a keyboard. So figuring out how to overlay the two and what that looks like to design for something that has a digital medium, but is also something that involves the entire body. And, and a lot of people think that's just AR and VR, but it's it can be bigger than that. How much bigger? I don't know, which is why I'm really interested in it. Yeah. I mean, even with like AR and VR, right? Like you're still not thinking about the area and the space that you're in. And there's almost an accessible component to that as well, right? Yeah. I think AR and VR, although fun to design for, I think it's, it's missing that layer of it. One of the projects I worked on was one involving designing for blind users to go grocery shopping, because one of the issues with going to the grocery store is that there's none of our labels are embossed in any way. So no one knows what that is. If you close your eyes, this bag of chips and that bag of chips is the exact same bag of chips. How do you know what is what? So finding out an embodied way of designing for that has been a lot of fun. Is this more or less kind of a case study that you're you're doing? Yeah, I have to start my master's thesis soon. Yeah. And hopefully my advisor is not listening because I have not gone into what I'm doing in detail <laughs> yet. And I'm sure he wants to know what it is because he's been yeah. asking. But that's what I'm thinking of just furthering my thoughts around that case study and making it into one large thesis. Well, hopefully it can get published at some point. That sounds like extremely interesting. So definitely let me know when it's done. I mean, you graduated in 2023, so we've got like a, a another year to kind of uh, anticipate that. But the listeners, that means the listeners are going to be expecting it. So. Oh, wow. Well, then scratch all of that out. No, 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 no. <laughs> Don't expect anything. Don't expect nothing. So Jasmine, I just kind of want to dive a look into one last question in sort of like the professional kind of realm of things. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that you, when, when getting into the industry, not long after you got into design or product design, you were doing a lot of presentations and talks. I think for a lot of people, that could be extremely daunting. And so kind of what was the motivation in that? And I think I've read on a few occasions, you're also kind of like introverted in a sense. So it's definitely out of your comfort zone. And so how did you kind of like cope with that and get yourself to do those types of things? Um, Well, I think there's a lot of things when you, if I ever present any topic for a talk or a presentation, it's something that I've been thinking about for 
at least a year. It's just yeah. it's something that's always in my mind. And my friends will be like, I'm, I don't want to hear about this anymore. Please stop. So I think giving a talk about it is just a place for me to lay it out there. And it doesn't have to be a talk where I feel like, oh, I'm an expert on this thing. It's almost impossible to be an expert on design equity in any way because it's, it's so expensive. Mm-hmm. I like talking about it in the same way that I like randomly saying something on Twitter, uh, just a thought around something because it starts a conversation around it and it doesn't, and there can be people that disagree with it and there can be people that agree with it. But and, I think- and by the way, Jasmine has very strong opinions about food and travel. <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> it's kind of funny and entertaining. But go ahead. I'm it's sorry. It's funny. You were talking about uh, feeling the need to make sure that you're putting out good content on the internet. And I just want all of your listeners to know that is not what my Twitter is. <laughs> my Twitter is a mix between like screaming about design stuff and talking about nothing. But I, I think a lot of times when I think about talking about design in any sense, I want it to be a conversation around it so that my friends don't have to listen to me talk about the same topics. It's now yeah. I have more friends. I have lots of people that are listening to it. And as an introvert, it is kind of hard to do. It's not so much as doing it is the problem. It's the after. Cause after that, I'm like, no one, no one perceived me for the next like three days. I don't even want to talk to people. I don't want anyone to look at me cause I'm exhausted, but I think doing it itself, it feels like the right thing for me because I I really love this profession and I really love talking about it. Even if we're talking about the ways that it could be improved or the cracks that are in it, I like having those conversations. Yeah. And do you, you mentioned there's no way you can be an expert around such an expansive subject, but is there a feeling or a need to not have cracks in what you're speaking to? Like, is there any sort of pressure that you kind of put in yourself going into that? Or is it like, you know, I just want to engage in that discussion and we'll see where it goes. I think that obviously when you're giving a presentation, you want to make sure that you've done the research. You don't want to just go out there and just be spouting nonsense. But I do think that if someone were to say like, hey, you mentioned this thing and and this was a little confusing. Can you get more into that? I don't mind saying, I, you know, I know a bit about it. But here's someone who does know more about it who could probably speak on it. I think it's fair for me. It takes a lot of pressure off of me to say, like, I'm only speaking on this based on what I know. And I only know what I know. And the things that I don't know, I can learn it. Right. Is there anything unexpected that comes out of these types of things? Um, Or that you were pleasantly surprised about? I think, and this is especially helpful for anyone who wants to get into public speaking, I think you will be pleasantly surprised by how many people are interested in the same things that you're interested in or Mm. find your talk to actually be really helpful. Sometimes when I'm giving a talk afterwards, I'm like, I don't even know if that made sense. And then people (laughs) will say like, oh, that was actually really helpful. That made me think about this in this way. I've gotten so many opportunities because of me putting myself out there. And I'm always going to be extremely grateful for those opportunities and and for people being so kind and wanting to even talk to me about some of these things. So I think that's the thing I'm always pleasantly surprised by. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've you've presented on before? So I have presented on design equity, obviously. I've presented on about the ways that design and industrial design and UX overlap. 
I gave a talk about history around design artifacts, artifacts being things like the rotary telephone and how it still presents itself in modern design usage, even though we don't use that anymore. I've given talks about design for aging and what that looks like for things to consider around that decision-making and the human eyeball (laughs) and how that actually relates back to design, which is pretty great. Um, Understanding the of the human eye and how that could help out with designing certain things. Amazing. So many awesome topics. Like, do you have like a central location where people can find this or how can we, how can we check them out? So I'm pretty sure most of them are on YouTube because the people that I give the talks to are nice enough to record them because I never think that in advance. Um, So you should be able to find them by just typing in Jasmine Orange and design on YouTube. Well, thank you so much. This was good. I was able to kind of do a deep dive into Jasmine Orange, introduce you to the Technically Speaking community. How can folks follow up with you? Do you have any sort of upcoming projects? Like what's on the slate for 2022? You can follow up with me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Again, if you're going to Twitter for design stuff, I'm not the person to go to. (laughs) Um, As far as what's going on in 2022, I'm kind of playing it by year. You know, I want to make sure that I'm giving enough time to work on my graduate assistantship and some of the work that we're doing for that project, making sure that I have time to to work and sleep and train for the Spartan. The Spartan. Hopefully they're not like I did the, uh, what's the other race? There's another race. There's a Spartan race. And then there's like the, is there the a tough warrior? Mudder. Tough Mudder. Yes. I did the Tough Mudder. Do they still have like electrical wires like dangling on these courses? I don't think they do that for the Spartan. Oh, for the okay. Tough Mudder, I'm not sure. But that oh. sounds dreadful. I just it was, don't know why you would do that. I don't know. It was awful. It was a mistake <laughs> I found awful. myself in. But good luck to you on that. I feel like this is just kind of the first thing that you're going to be doing. I feel like you're going to be doing some ultra marathons in your future. I think if I've decided to start doing those, that's when you can just be like, I don't know what's going on with her, but she is <laughs> off the rails. I don't know what's going on because, no, I can't imagine running any longer than I need to, which is yeah. maybe a half. That's the absolute most I can do. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you again for being on the show and best of luck on, on everything. We'll be looking forward to your book on the augmented virtual reality grocery store experience very soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 